You are listening to a no-show radio production. Mind your ears while we unpack the unusual. This is the strangest story I have ever heard. Take a seat, grab a drink, and listen to my words. tuning in to Hashtag First, a podcast where two buds talk trash about how their favorite shows begin. We're the two buds. I'm Alex. And I'm Spencer. And yeah, you know what? I Usually we have some kind of banter here, but I don't even know what to fucking start with this week. Do we normally have ban- I don't know the formula for this at all. I- it's okay. This is only episode three, so there technically isn't a formula, but usually I have something to like springboard us off and being like, oh, hey, what about this thing? I got nothing. I'm prepared, but I'm underprepared. It's a weird feeling, buddy. Well, what is what is the theme of this month, week's, whatever's episode? <laughs> oh, uh, so this week's episode, we are examining thoroughly, academically, definitely not with any butt jokes. Uh, we're doing Manhattan and Hannibal. Spencer told me to watch Manhattan, and I insisted that Spencer watch Hannibal. Yeah. I can't speak for Manhattan because I've never heard of Manhattan until you told me about it. Mm -hmm. However, I know Hannibal definitely had a cult following Mm -hmm. a long time on a certain website. But uh, what was your experience with Manhattan, I guess? Like, how did you learn about it? So on. Okay, so I learned about Manhattan because it was on the Hulu front page. And I was like, Manhattan? And I hovered over it. And it was like, oh, it's about how they built the bombs. And I was like, wow, that sounds fucking cool. And I think I thought it was a documentary when I clicked on it. And it's like, oh, shit, it's an awesome fucking drama. So I, like, binged the whole fucking thing and I got some good music out of it. Yup, that was my experience. For me, what's crazy, like, it being a Hulu original, like, the show came out in 2014. And for me, it's like, man, Hulu was out in 2014? Time's weird. I don't Mm -hmm. really get the flow of it sometimes. Was that like, was Hulu brand spanking new? Am I just a crazy old person that just doesn't understand anything Hulu anymore? Hulu has been around for a decent period. We're going to look that up. Get ready okay, for thanks. Click clacks. Click clacks. I don't when care. I'm editing. was Hulu <laughs> birthed? <laughs> Dear Google. Hulu launched to the public in the U.S. on March 12th, 2008. Holy shit. Fuck off. No way. Yeah, it's been around for a while. I I know that I had it at the beginning of high school. But you're a wee babe. That means nothing to me. Well, that was 2010. Oh, God. You're so young. And then they made Arrested Development Season 5. Well, first they did four. (laughs) But even before that, they hosted it. They, They hosted Arrested Development for like a whole new spectrum of fans. And it was apparently like really well received on their site. So they're like, ah... Or revive it and everyone will thank us for it. That's a different and podcast. That's a different episode, man. We can't do that. Not today. Oh my god. Like, <laughs> we can talk about whatever. <laughs> it's true. It's our own fucking show, right? Yeah, like, 
at the very least, we're going to talk about fucking atom bombs and serial killers. They're basically the same thing. The theme of this episode is definitely, like, scary smart people. Like, I don't know, the kill count of all those people in Manhattan just fucking eclipses poor Hannibal Lecter. It's good to have dreams, though. It's not. Not not <laughs> like this. I feel like you're being very judgy. Just let them follow their bliss. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> I know. You should talk about one of these. Uh, I think I forced you to start first last time, so I can take first this time. I really like the fucking framework of you starting first. Do you? Why Why I is do. that? <laughs> I really like it. Just That's just all you I have to say on the matter. Is it because I set the bar so low that just anything after that is No, I gold? like the warm-up. I, I feel like normally you have your stuff together, and it's, yeah... <laughs> I, I prefer following after you. Oh God, you're you're sweet. It's only because I have a disease and I can't help myself. But this week, I don't have my shit together because I did not write a beautiful episode recap. So it's going to be like 10 times worse, Grandma telling you a story as I try to recollect everything that happened in Manhattan episode one, uh, which isn't named Pilot, actually. It is named You Always Hurt the One You Love. Super strong, super good. Let's talk about Manhattan. So Manhattan came out in July of 2014, and it was directed by, this episode in particular, was directed by Thomas Schlama. Schlama. It's really close to Schlampa, which is German for bitch. Don't think that's his last name. Looks close, though. I respect you, director Thomas. Uh, and then the writer is Sam Shaw. So let's talk about Thomas real quick. He relatively, is affluent the right word? He's directed a lot of shit. He directed House of Cards. He directed a few episodes of West Wing. However... If you're a true fan of Friends, you'll have to know that obviously he directed only two episodes of Friends, uh, the one with the lesbian wedding and the one with Russ. So <laughs> iconic, really, truly. He made Friends happen. He made it pop. As far as the writer, Sam Shaw, though, he uh, has only written on a few projects. And after Manhattan, the next big one he was a part of was Castle Rock. So there's that. If you like Castle Rock, you might like Manhattan. If you like Friends... You might like this. I don't think those two go hand in hand, actually. But, you know, I just like seeing friends pop up wherever it's going to pop up. So Manhattan is weirdly about the Manhattan Project, which I had to do like a little bit of cursory research about the Manhattan Project. So I wasn't sure how legit the shit was, like how much was just historical fiction, which I'm sure there's plenty of. But mm -hmm. uh, it starts out with a beautiful white couple being lost in the desert because, you know, it's before the age of technology. And boy, did that hurt to watch. Like seeing them with the paper map. And I just, it was a different time, man. I am so thankful we live in the like, 2000s. Like if they didn't figure it out, they would just die in the desert. <laughs> yeah, just the, fuck them, I guess. And their little child. Fuck them. Mm -hmm. Who doesn't say a line in this entire thing? Super creepy. Pretty sure they could have replaced him with like a mannequin and it would have been fine. It would not have been fine. <laughs> For episode one, pretty sure it would have been fine. So yeah, the thing about Manhattan is that it has a huge cast of characters. Huge. I could go through each and all the names, but I'm going to forget them halfway through, mostly because I don't even remember most of them now. So I'm probably mm -hmm. going to give them nice generic names. And episode one is a full 56 minutes long, which means they pack a whole lot of information in the pilot episode. Because it's not really a pilot. It doesn't feel like a traditional pilot. They're like, this is our fucking concept. Hop on or we're leaving you behind. There's no like cute warm up to it. It's just... Here's the story. Let's well, go. We, we talked about it a bit earlier, but this is made for streaming. This is made for Hulu. So there didn't need to be a pilot because 
they film the whole thing and then send it out. Pilots normally they air an episode and then they decide what they're going to do with the show. Uh, True. But this wasn't getting aired. It all released in a bundle. Oh, uh, I th- I think you might be wrong, buddy. Hmm? Hulu tends to do weekly releases. I think back when Manhattan released the first season, they didn't. I think the second season did, but I think Manhattan came out in a big baboon. I think you're wrong. The really? internet, the internet's telling me you're wrong because episode two aired August third. Hmm. Because I know Hulu used to not do that. They used to just dump their shows. Maybe this was one of the first shows that did that system. Huh. Because, I, yeah, I know they pulled away from it because Netflix still dumps. One of their people, I don't know who, said basically they wanted to get back to that cable style, like waiting for episodes every week, which I thought was the whole point of going to streaming and not watching cable. It's a weird artistic choice for them, and I don't think it's artistic. I think there's a behind the scenes. I would disagree. I really like waiting for an episode. After years of binging, don't get me wrong, I still will binge like a fucking fool however there's something nice about waiting for your episode so hulu handmaiden's tale harlots and now the act all three of them i love that i can't just sit down and inhale them it makes me actually think about the show a little bit more Mm -hmm. i don't know because i think it works for some things and then there's shows where it's like if i'm not binging it i'm gonna forget this exists like i think for some things i think especially story driven like really well-crafted stories like i think some of the suspense and the thought is a nice addition but there's also some that are just if i can't just do this in one go the concept isn't there to keep pulling me back you have me for like two sittings well like a good example that would be the mick right yeah the mick has to Mm. Well, I think you're onto something in the sense like all through those shows that I mentioned that I'm like, I can't wait for next week. They're all dramas. Yeah, you're right. So goofy shit like The Mick or The Office or anything like that. God, imagine trying to watch The Office back in the day when you had to go episode by episode. Yeah, that that wasn't going to (laughs) happen. But back then we didn't know about binging. Like that wasn't a thing when The Office first aired. And I didn't watch The Office back then. God. Fancy that. Weird. You're so young yet so old. What's it like just being a vampire? I don't know. It's it's crazy. <laughs> so, Manhattan. The nice pretty couple that gets lost in the desert. The husband has been hired by this government job. They say he's going to be working in a radar lab. Tricks on him. They can't really tell him anything until he accepts the job. And when he's in the office, the big boss puts up a formula up on the screen and he's like, you're building a bomb, an atomic bomb. And big boss is like, huh, a lot of the new guys don't get that. I have to walk them through it. Basically the fucking line. And so the main husband, there's like two main husbands. There's young husband, old husband. Old husband has been at it for a long time and he has his own team and they're racing a different scientist trying to come up with the best, fastest, cheapest bomb possible. So he has his own storyline. Young husband's coming in hot off the science train, I guess. He apparently wrote this really awesome paper that of course old scientists didn't like young scientists. Awesome paper. So there's conflict between them. And on top of that, young scientist is working for opposing scientist team. There's just a lot of like little dramas happening inside this big drama, which the whole point is like the very first panel title screen. It says 766 days to Hiroshima. So it's it's this big countdown to, oh, hey, when a bomb fucking goes off, it's like as if they're talking about bombs. Old scientist got me pretty good. Uh, Spencer, you didn't warn me with all my daddy issues that there was sad dad trying to protect his daughter. (laughs) <laughs> it is amazing. He is the greatest character. He has a moment that is accompanied by one of my favorite songs, and it's it's real good. 
It's real good. This old scientist, I say old scientist just because, again, he's the one that's been doing this for a while. Uh, he is very protective of his team. He's very protective of his family. And of course, he's married a badass botanist wife who's an awesome, smart scientist as well. And when I said like the daddy issues, protecting his daughter, his daughter's of age to go to college. And she's like, I want to go to New York for school and mom's like i'm not gonna let you go there because then you're gonna be a slut you're gonna have sex because that's the big worry back then and meanwhile dad's sitting there like that's one of the biggest cities in the country and like clearly thinking about like oh hey if there's gonna be a bomb targeted at us we'd probably hit new york and it's having recently moved from little old montana to washington dc i get to hear those speeches a little bit from my dad every now and again where uh, coming home from christmas i was like yeah i could come home the first that's no big deal. Like, it's sure, it'll be shitty because there's a lot of people there, but you know, it's no big deal. My dad's like, you're flying to DC. If anyone's ever going to attack us, they're going to do it on a big holiday like that. Not going to happen. Sorry. I just, I don't know. Dads who care about their kids in really weird doomsday situations, it gets me. And how dare you for not warning me. <laughs> you monster. And so old scientist is having this issue where he has to outrace his competition and he comes up with a really great idea, but just not quite fast enough. On top of that, as if that's not enough of an issue for him, the military police stomp on in. Because, oh yeah, by the way, they're not just like hanging out in a big city. They are in, was it Los Alamo? And like, which is actually a real site that happened during the Manhattan Project, which I also didn't know there's a bunch of different sites that where they were testing and getting shit together for this bomb. It was a real place, also known as Site Y or The Hill. And it was like so secret that, <coughs> I coughed. Uh, it was so secret that babies that were born at The Hill were actually like the, the address put down was PO Box 1663 Santa Fe, which they actually flash at some point in the episode too. So like this wasn't really like a real place in New Mexico. It was this super secret site that's a total military camp and of course, the military police are going around being dicks because they don't have enough power. So they're being dicks. And they storm into the old scientist office and they're like, someone's stealing our stuff. And he's like, well, it's definitely not one of my team. Turns out it's definitely someone on his team. The token Asian. Um, because, you know, people, I mean, it's somewhat genuine in the sense that it took a lot of money to get a fucking science degree. Not that people weren't smart enough, just took a lot of money. So probably not a whole lot of minorities hanging out. Um well and this was also a time in history where the U.S. was putting Japanese people in internment camps. Oh, yeah, that's also true. Mm -hmm. um, oh, but they also talk about the Jews a lot. Like, yeah, that, that's a whole bunch. <laughs> that, is, that is a World War II thing that America... America has hated the Jews for hundreds of years, and then World War II happened... And all of a sudden, it's like, ha, we saved you. Oh, we're cool, right? Like, ha-ha, our buddies, <laughs> the Jews. It's like, ha-ha. Yeah, what's the line? That they, like, it's like a repeated line that like hurt a little bit to hear so often. Like, yeah, yeah, I get it. We're anti-Semitic in America. Thanks. Um, that there's no more Jews in Israel. Like, Jesus, fuck, guys. Like, let's just kill it a little. Take it down a notch. Not, I think it was well-placed by the writers, but it's just, it's always sucky to have that thrown in your face. Of, oh, yeah. We're still pretty racist, but we used to be super racist. Oh, yeah. No, people just talked about it, didn't think about it. No, why like, would you? It's totally yeah. normal. Yep. <laughs> uh, and so, as if there's not enough like going on in this fucking episode, of course, we're getting a little vignettes of the wives as well. And new wife is hating everything about this place. She has to shave her kid's head, otherwise he'll get lice. Uh, the walls are super thin in their apartments. Everyone's gossiping. Of course, there's a group of mean girls that she probably should be friends with. Um, and she, all this while, she's been telling her husband, my dad has a job for you. We could just go live where we want to live. And 
new husband's like, no, we're doing this. Mostly because I've agreed and I can't get away at this point. <laughs> um, interestingly enough, though, uh, they have a good comparison between new couple, old couple, where old couple, the wife's asking the husband, like, hey, talk to me about this. What's going on? And he's like, I can't. I couldn't possibly. You know I can't talk to you about this. And then new couple, the wife's like, tell me about it. And the husband's like, well... Hang on, let me turn on this music and let's start talking. Which thing is conveniently led into a scene where the new wife is at a party, a 4th of July party specifically, thrown by old wife. And she lets slip like, oh yeah, hopefully they'll build the thing soon. And she either covers really well or she was lied to about what's going on. And in episode one, I think it's hard to tell, Spencer, was she lied to or was she lying? Okay, so old wife thinks that they're there making like some kind of new satellite radar system to like ping enemy movements. She did not know that they were making a fucking bomb. She is super well-educated, super like anti-war, super like, like we have to end this safely and quickly. And I think the husband was like that too, which is something that they address later. He hates that they're doing this, but he's stuck. You do not get away from this. Like, the government will not let you get away from this. Well, and like an old husband saying like, hey, it's about ending this war as quick as possible because he keeps bringing up like every hour so many people die. So many of our sons die. So many of our mm-hmm. soldiers die. So many of like other people's kids are dying. Like not just us, but like everywhere people are dying. Yeah, that that's and that that's the thing. It's running statistics. And a lot of scientists did that. It was a common thing. It was to justify what they were going to do because as a matter of fact, calculations for how long the war would have went how many people we were losing per day and how long that would have gone on for. It was a sliver. But you're also introducing into the world the power to just kill hundreds of thousands of people in seconds. So justifying the end of the war, but also trying to justify the existence of this thing now. They play with the morals a lot in this show. It is... (laughs) There are very, very few people that are like, yeah, I fucking love making bombs. I fucking love it. So, but my question was about if new wife knew. Like, if new husband told new wife what was going on. I want to say that you'll see. Okay, fine. You'll, yeah, you'll see. All right, then. You keep your secrets. So, gosh, I'm just trying to think of what else happened in this first episode. Old scientist, old husband, same person, as I use interchangeably, needs just some super smart computers which, side note, they address, like, a whole group of women as the computers uh, early on because they're the ones who get a shit ton of calculations and math because women are fucking smart and they often get forgot. And I'm really glad they mentioned, like, oh, hey, look at all these women doing a shit ton of calculations for everybody. So he needs, like, real computers, though, to, like, do the stuff that he needs to get done. Uh, and it turns out the only way he can do it is by turning in good old Sid. That's, like, the one name I do remember, who was the token Asian guy who probably shouldn't have been there because we were all fucking racist. And by turning in Sid to... The government, he got his computers. And that's kind of like the end of season one. He has this really good monologue at the end, talking to the maid who speaks down a lick of English, at least as far as we've been presented, and about like explaining what they're building and like what at what cost. And yeah, I don't know. There's just a lot of, it's a big cast. I didn't even mention probably a good four, five, six others that play, I'm sure, a very important role in this, but it's just, it's a lot. And you can tell like the, the stack of stack of stack of storylines that all intermingle together. It's either probably going to, be done really well or really poorly towards the end because at some point you have too many stories and if they go on for too long they get too muddled and you lose attention i did write down in my notes old scientist it seems very on brand for spencer so i'm glad i wasn't wrong it's sad dad i will bring that up every episode if i have to you and sad dads it is sad dad (laughs) and sad dad in the making 
they do a good job of sort of wrapping up storylines without killing off characters. Like, okay, this storyline has accomplished its thing. Now these characters are basically background characters again. Okay, nice. They've done their thing, now they're background. But you know that they did this thing, but now they're more tied to the sad dads. Yeah, I would say the sad dads, the old wife, not really the daughter. The daughter does her thing and then she's done. But I would say sad dads and their wives are like the main characters. Like th okay. those, those are the storylines that end up mattering and even those intertwine pretty tightly. Which... Uh, Makes sense. I really think old couple, new couple are supposed to be foils of one another. And oh, yeah. It's obvious, but well done. Yeah. And that's the thing. It was based in a lot of truth in that time period of like new education versus old education and, and how people were fighting and like two teams that were fighting for which bomb got made. Mm -hmm. Yeah, boy, what a rough fucking period in history. <laughs> Wasn't good for anybody, was it? It's fun to learn about. It's important to learn about, but not something we should glamorize like this this show does a really good job of presenting how fucked the situation was mm -hmm. how desperate everyone was feeling and like how we could get from fighting a war to we need a weapon that could just end this well god there's such a good line when young scientists old scientists are talking to one another where young scientists is like well what's gonna happen when everyone has one of these and it's just like, I'm glad someone had to have said it back then. Like, so we're going to build oh, this, but then everyone's going to have one. Yeah, no, they were thinking about it. And that was one of the big hesitations is like, well, how big do you make the thing? Like, do you want this to be a world ender? Or do you want this to be just part of the arsenal? Or do you want this to be blah, blah, blah? Basically, we, we needed that war to be over in like a week. Mm -hmm. And that was, yeah, woof. But, I mean, they were talking about, like, mutually assured destruction, like, way back when they were planning out the bombs, because the idea was that eventually all of our allies and all of our enemies would have them, and the world could just safely be in a Mexican standoff forever, where it's just a bunch of people pointing pistols at each other, like a spy <laughs> movie. and like, like The Office? <laughs> yeah, and that, that would be it. And that's sort of been what it's been. Like, we're trying to cut back, like... No, we're not. We are, and Russia is, but we still... America has ordinance enough to fire on every country in the world, like, four times over. And we don't talk about it because he's evil, but Putin has, like, halved the Russian stockpile. But the Russians had a pretty big fucking stockpile. Like, half of two million dollars is still a million fucking dollars. <laughs> Like, too many nukes in the world, but... Too many nukes? Too many nukes. It's a whole different... It, that's for a different podcast. <laughs> Political podcast. Here we come. I have a few notes before I go into my predictions, and... I, oh, hey, where do I know them from? So, first one is real brief. I appreciate, but also hate, Set the World on Fire as, like, mm -hmm. this iconic song for this time. Because I think it's also used... Is it Bioshock? Uh, I think Bioshock used it once. Uh, Fallout uses it a lot fallout that's what i'm thinking of it's used a lot and of course we're looking at this in a time of 2019 and 2014 maybe it was still pretty unique and it gets the point across but at this point i feel like it's a little heavy-handed and that's really all i have to say like as far as when you're talking about music that's the thing that stood out the most to me in episode one and i really think you're right i think it's fallout not bioshock that i was thinking of i want to look it up real quick go ahead i was going to but you were talking i was like i don't want to do a click the clack while he's doing that yeah when when was that song put out because i want to say yeah it was 1938 it was used in bioshock 2 i don't want to set the world on fire probably should be the full detail or for the full name of it it was written at the beginning of world war 2 and i 
want to say that it was written with the war in mind, but it might not have been. But I, I thought that was the thing that I knew, that the song was about that, and that's why it gets so heavily featured. It's a love song in a time where the world is, like, collapsing into fucking war. On top of that, too, it's such a unique sound. Like, yes. obviously you know the era, but there's not really any other song that sounds like I Don't Want to Set the World on Fire. Oh, yeah. Uh, the big song that I took away is at the very, very, very end of the show, and it's a modern song. Gotcha. Like, the song that plays over the big final act... Mm. And it fits really, really fucking well. Ooh. It's like a hauntingly well-written ending. Mm. Mm. You'll see. Well, hopefully you'll see. The other, like, again, short note before I go into something that's probably gonna be a big conversation. So all I have is like, how fucked up would you be if you were in this exact situation? And again, we've kind of discussed about how old scientist is just really struggling with this concept. Mm -hmm. And I think new scientist has, has some struggle with it too, but I think he's a little too up and coming to care mm. as much as old scientists. I really should have given them their fucking character names, but too bad, motherfuckers. If you want to know, watch the show. And you too can be lost in the sea of characters. But again, it's I keep mentioning it, so this clearly was one of my favorite scenes, or at least the most impactful scene, is these two scientists talking in the backyard of this 4th of July party. And we mentioned that they bring up the Jewish people a whole bunch, and they bring up the story of the golem. And I feel like that's another thing, kind of like, I don't want to set the world on fire. Like, it's used a lot. And, mm -hmm. and creative writing and again it's one of those things like i think using it every now and again is super great but maybe i've just been on a streak of stuff that's been referencing it a lot lately i couldn't tell you what i've been watching that reference it but i felt like i watched it I was like jesus again here we go with the golem and it's a good story and it's relevant uh to a lot of different situations which is why it gets thrown around a lot i'm just tired of it <laughs> Which sounds awful. I just don't like it as being used as a plot device continuously to show how smart a person is. I think that's where it's weird because it's smart people. They're huge fucking nerds. But it's the time period where nerds wore suspenders and drank whiskey and their hair was falling <laughs> out and they like punched each other in the mouth. Like it is the Manhattan Project was a dick measuring contest. The way that they organized it and the way that they had them like set against one another. And I think they do that well. I think there's still things about it that, you know, eh. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Like, it is a really good time piece, I guess. But I agree with you. Using stupid fucking Bible quotes and stories from the Bible is over-fucking-used. <laughs> and never used particularly well. Again, how fucked up would you be? And I, I, I say, like, how fucked up would you be in the sense that you know you're going to kill a bunch of people and you know this is going to start a whole new hot trend in the entire world. We probably will never know. God, I, Spencer, oh. I hope we never know what this kind of pressure is like. Yeah. I, to be so directly involved. I'm curious how the rest of the show plays out and watching this weight on their shoulders. And I just, I can't even fathom waking up every day knowing this is what you are working on and being okay with it and... Or not okay with it, but like just trying to make it happen so it can be over. It just, whoo, whoo boy, the emotional baggage with it. So not just the people doing it, the people who are sort of aiding and abetting the people doing it also. Like the wives, supporting like the their husbands. <laughs> and the MPs and the kids. Everyone who was a part of it, even though they weren't a part of it, but they were totally mm -hmm. a part of it. Someone who is sitting and just letting it happen. So are you ready for my predictions? Go for it. I have two predictions. Prediction number one, the maid is a fucking spy. She can speak English and she is going to gather information because no one suspects the maid that doesn't speak English. And so she gathers a lot of information that we wouldn't expect her to get. Do you want me to respond to that? Or you can. Oh, you're going on to the next one. Go to the next one. I think old scientist has a brain tumor. 
or something equally bad in his brain pan. Because uh, something I didn't mention is just that he has a lot of like hearing, ringing issues, and he's starting to have like weird nightmares and other stresses that all seem very brain related. I'm like, mm, I bet he's dying of something and we don't know yet. So it goes to something you were just, just talking about. It is, it's not like a tumor. It's not like, a, oh, I'm dying. Young scientist, you have to take over for me. It is stress. Ah, okay. It is the weight of stress on the human mind. Not tumors, but it creates those symptoms by just, and you would know about this. You, oh, yeah, you've studied delicious. this. Mm, yeah. Num, 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 num. Just all that stress not dealing with it. He is killing himself. But not like, oh, I'm sick. Oh, I have this thing that's going to take me out. It's all just his own guilt is its own medical problem now. That's how bad it is for him. Oh, that's good. I like yeah. it. Ooh, that's good. Oh, getting so on brand for you, Spencer. You you have a mm -hmm. way of picking characters. Is the maid a spy? No. Oh, okay, that would have been cool. There is a spy, and it is another obvious one. But there's also the threat of a spy comes into play at the very, very end. And it is very, very, very good. Okay, don't ruin it, because I definitely am going to finish this. I watched the first episode, and it's been really hard not to sit down and watch the rest. So hard, in fact, that I'm sitting here watching my usuals. I'm watching The Office. I'm watching Always Sunny. I'm watching shit that I can usually binge, Parks and Rec. Like, I just want to sit down and watch Manhattan. I really want to watch Manhattan again, too. <laughs> well, hey, Spence, maybe we'll watch it together after this. Maybe. Maybe. That's all I think I have. I liked it. I listed some of my favorite scenes. I didn't really see any standout tropes, which was nice. Mm -hmm. And I'm teased about the token Asian, and it's just because I'm going to tease it about that and again you proved a great point it's just like oh yeah this was a fucked up time yep oh last thing and because i don't do names crazy beard guy is also my dad now not sad dad sad dad's best friend is my dad i like him a lot all his five lines like he had and i liked him a whole whole bunch oh, i'm glad oh but hey where do i fucking know them from spencer where do you know them from focusing on the main new couple mm -hmm. the wife her name is abby isaacs and mm -hmm. she plays mazel and the marvelous miss mazel mm-hmm and she was in something else recently that I saw. I'm like, man, she's just, she's talented. I like her. I like her as an actress. And then the hobby's name is Ashley Zuckerman. And I was sitting there, I'm like, I know him. And I thought that he might have been on Mad Men. He's not. But I was like, okay, where do I know him from? Where do I know him from? And I looked him up on IMDb. He has not been in a lot of stuff that I have seen. However, he did play a shitty guy on Designated Survivor. So there's that. If you happen to like 24-like shows, Designated Survivor is a cheesy political show that you could watch and regret after watching half a season one. <laughs> I'm about halfway through season two. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but yeah, that's where you know them from. And there's actually like a lot of people on there, the IMDb. Like there's a lot of pretty big names, or at least you've seen them from somewhere and you'll go, where do I know them from? But I don't want to ruin it because I didn't even give them all names. So that's it. That's all I got. I think it's your turn, Spence. Oh, is it? I guess before we move on, move on. Well, did I miss anything in Manhattan that you feel it needs to be addressed? I don't think so. Tell me about Hannibal. Tell me about Hannibal. Hannibal. So, <clears throat> I watched the first episode of Hannibal, a thing that I have managed to avoid since 2013, when the show first came out. It went until 2015. I remember this because one of my friends is really into it, and he messaged me out of the blue knowing that I'd never seen Hannibal to complain to me about how shitty the ending was. And I was like, <laughs> I feel you, man, I bet, probably. <laughs> 
So, Hannibal is named after Dr. Hannibal Lecter, that fucking cool-ass guy played by, uh, fucking Anthony Hopkins back in the day. Which they say he never blinks in the movie, but he definitely does. He absolutely does. I- that feels like something that, like, a critic wrote in a magazine and people, like, took it to heart forever. Probably. Yeah, so he doesn't blink often. We'll- we'll give it that. Yes. Yes. Silence of the Lambs was a movie that my uncle made me watch when I was very young. <laughs> Fun. <laughs> now, I really, really liked Silence of the Lambs, and I read The Red Dragon, and I was, like, really into that whole universe and those movies. And, like, they're gross, but they were really well done <laughs> for what they were, and I really appreciated them. And someone with those exact same sentiments as me decided, I'm gonna go on and make... My own version of that. I'm gonna make a prequel to all that. And ooh boy, that man was named Brian Fuller. Who is that, you may ask? Well, let me tell you. He's a writer who wrote a few episodes of Pushing Daisies, which was a pretty decent show that I sort of watched growing up. He's also best known for... He wrote a bunch of fucking episodes of Star Trek Voyager. That awful, awful fucking show. But that gave him enough street cred where now he writes episodes for Star Trek Discovery. That thing you need like a $30 subscription to watch. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, feel like Star you're forgetting is... a very important thing that Brian Fuller wrote. What am oh heroes? That's also important. I also feel like if we're gonna talk shit about Brian Fuller, we're gonna have to like fisticuff. Yeah, what did what did he do that you really liked? I I want to make sure. I, um, don't mind me. I'm googling. Dear Google. All right. Again. Um. Well, maybe this is not what I wanted at all. Hmm. Mm, I might have made something up in my brain pan. I thought Brian Fuller did series of unfortunate events for nope. Nickelodeon. Nope. So, uh, so Brian Fuller's trash. We're now in agreement on this. No. <laughs> um, he had he had no business rebooting this series. Um, so the first episode is some kind of Nordic word ap aperitif. That's how I'm gonna say it. The director of the first episode, aperitif. Aperitif? Yeah. It means like appetizer, right? Or it's a cook word. It's an eating word. Probably because this whole show is about a guy who fucking eats people. We'll get to that, though, for all those people who never watched Silence of the Lambs for some reason. That's an alcoholic drink taken before a meal to stimulate appetite. Ooh, fancy. Good name for a fucking pilot. Anyways, continue. Fancy. Ooh, so my. the director of this first episode is a man with a bitchin' name, and his name is David Slade. And in his <laughs> IMDB picture, one of his eyes is twitching. <laughs> And it's badass, let me tell you. So, it's the man that's seen some shit. <laughs> you might be wondering, where do I know David Slade from? Let me tell you. Hey, Spencer, where do I know David Slade from? Oh, well, let me tell you. So, he directed one episode of Breaking Bad. Ooh. He also fucking directed the Twilight Saga Eclipse. <laughs> I don't know which one that was. But it's, <laughs> I think it's, the but third it's one. in there. Uh, more recently, he did uh, Metalhead. I don't remember that episode, but Metalhead, the episode of Black Mirror, oh. and he did uh, that interactive episode of Black Mirror, Bandersnatch. Okay. And he's and he's been working on American Gods, which is a show I keep meaning to get to. Brian Fuller also works on American Gods. Weird that they would be working together on the same show. Weird. It's almost like David Slade got in there and was like, oh, you know what, Brian? I'll throw you a bone. <laughs> you poor, sad little man. <laughs> Now I want to talk about American Gods, a show that I haven't even seen. 
I want to talk about a show I haven't seen more than I want to talk about Hannibal. Oh man, it's okay. We'll push through this. I also like our trend of us like picking stuff that pe- like just really obscure shit that these people have written and directed. Yeah, it's good. It's it's a good I like trend. It. <laughs> so full disclosure, I really liked the old material. So I'm a fuddy duddy. But let me tell you, holy shit, two hundred thousand fucking people have rated Hannibal as an eight point five. So I must be on the outs on this one. <laughs> but I feel like in a lot of shows that deal with the fields of psychology in general, and psychopaths and serial killers, there tends to be a lot of ego involved with those projects. It feels a lot like they're trying to say things without saying things, and I just don't get into it. <laughs> so, the show follows... I... so, I wasn't clear. He... he works for the FBI? He's... he's an FBI... like, he, he works as a, an FBI criminal profiler. I wasn't sure if he was actually an agent or if he's just someone that they call in, because it seemed like his relationship was Wh- a little Who are you loose. talking about? You didn't give a name. Oh, we're talking about, uh, Hugh Dancy's character. Will? Will Graham? Will, Will Graham, yep. God, okay, so it's been a while since I've watched it and I haven't watched all... like, I, I watched all season one. I think he was a consultant that gets pulled on. Yeah. Because he, uh, he teaches, and so his whole thing, let me tell you folks, is, oh, he's a little messed up, you know, he's a little messed up in the head, and, uh, he can empathize with serial killers, which oh, means he no. can- Which means that he can walk into a house and just, like, Batman holograph, <laughs> like, reconstruct crime scenes down to, like, the, the motive of, like, what the killer was thinking and what the killer thought of the drapes and, and how that influenced his decision to shoot this woman in the third vertebrae instead of the second and it's like okay okay <laughs> it gives me sherlock vibes where in the ben that dick coming bitch sherlock show he he fucking just shows up and based on obscure shit that you weren't shown that you couldn't have possibly known he just knows a thing that solves the case it gives me those vibes i'm glad you th- threw down cumberbatch instead of fucking our boy guy Ritchie. guy rich no no never thank you at least we're in agreement on that. <laughs> yeah, but it gives me those vibes of, oh, this isn't a crime show. This is a show vaguely about criminal law enforcement because it's cool, but having cool, intricate crimes that people could look at and solve and feasibly be real. Oh no, it's gotta be, <laughs> it's gotta be too smart for us because we're dealing with, with two smart guys. Those two smart guys being young FBI criminal profiler Will Graham and... Hannibal Lecter, played by Mads Mikkelsen, a guy who is in that game that won't ever come out. (laughs) Honestly, you know what? I pulled up his IMDb because I know Mads Mikkelsen, but I only know him and I only- (laughs) He was in Casino Royale. He was the bad guy in that. Mm -hmm. And he was the dad that had like two lines in in that bad Star Wars movie that came out. Which one? Oh, oh yeah, there's a whole lot of them. Rogue One, a Star Wars story. We're gonna get so much shit for that. We had three fans, Spencer, and now we are down to one. I hope we're you're down happy. to one. <laughs> it's my mom. God, what awful films! But yeah, like he's a good actor. He's been in stuff. He's a cool dude. It's just looking through. He's been in a lot of thriller stuff and a lot of you know, obviously foreign movies that I just don't recognize. So here's my thing, is going into this, I was already going to be judgmental. You don't say. (laughs) Yeah, Anthony Hopkins in the role of Hannibal Lecter was like, oh yeah, we're doing, this is the character, this is the guy. I think Mads Mikkelsen brings a different flavor to the role. I don't hate it. Oh. Yeah, I don't hate it. (laughs) 
it's not like oh my god he blew it out of the water he understands the the blah, blah, blah. like no he he did all right like i i could totally believe that this is a younger version of the dude you know from the movies how closely does this tie in with the movies like is this going off and doing its own thing or does this end in a place where like it ends so that the movies are set up oh i wish i could tell you again i've only watched the first season i know that it ends disappointing okay my memory of it is it's very sherlock moriarty falling off the fucking waterfall together i say waterfall no one hold me to this i seriously have never seen the end okay i think it's supposed to be canon i think it's supposed to be like a huge prologue but not like red dragon prologue i'm not the person to ask cool i have my i have my reasons why i wanted you to watch this and we'll get there yeah okay so again the the whole oh look at this smart troubled guy i I guess that's why I like this compared to Manhattan, because you have smart, troubled guys that feel real and grounded, and they seem to have motive and blah blah blah. Will Graham, again, just feels like someone's shitty OC to me. Like, just walks in and reads the DM's notes, and then just makes up reasons why he knows what's going on. (laughs) Like, fuck you, kid, I I don't care about him. So it's weird. I don't like him, but I like watching him get pushed around because of that. (laughs) I like Hannibal outsmarting this shit kid. I like Lawrence Fishburne. No, Fishburne. Is that? That's not a name. No, that is his name. I said that because I know the actor and I've seen him in so much and I I like him quite a bit. But I said his name out loud for like the first time. I was like, that's not right. You could just call him Morpheus. It's fine. Yeah. So Morpheus is (laughs) the actual cool FBI agent in the show, but he's like, he's a cop. He is a really professional cop. So he calls Will Graham and to do shit. And then Will Graham does his artsy garbo. Oh, I'm I'm on the spectrum nonsense. Oh my God. And then Lawrence is like, but can you, can you just... Just do what I asked you to do. Like, there, there's no stage lights, man. A, a woman was murdered. Help me out. And he's like, oh, uh, but this thing, this this thing offset in the corner. And he just throws his hands up and walks away. It's like, you know what? Awesome. I really like in this show of like up their own ass sociopaths, like just having this one decent cop and like Will Graham's friend. I didn't catch her name. She fills in for him when he's he's off on his bender. Do you remember her name? Ugh. I will look it up, but... I- I'll look it for you. Keep talking. Um, Dr. Elena Bloom. I yeah. liked her a lot as a foil to Will Graham. I should have known. Brandy calls me her Elena Bloom because <laughs> of, hey guys, I'm going to school for this shit. Just so you oh, know. Oh, hey. <laughs> oh, hey. Yeah, I did like her quite a bit. And she's not prominent in the first episode, but you can tell that she's being set up probably as a romance interest. It's probably probably that shit they put a female on screen close to the male lead they're probably gonna bone at some point because that's the only reason why females are on there right no but i think that's the only reason <laughs> brian fuller put one on there <laughs> that's my thing like it feels like she she is gonna do a lot of cool stuff but it feels like it's gonna be look how cool she is and she's still gonna be you know forced into some awkward romance with will graham and it's gonna be something like uh, like about her having some kind of understanding of him because he's so he's so messed up and this isn't to say anything about people who actually deal with this it's just such an ungrounded i I think i don't like it because it doesn't actually feel like someone dealing with these issues it feels like someone shitty oc it feels like Someone who did a little bit of research building a character around a... uh, I don't know. 
I don't, I don't know. I don't but... think you're wrong. I don't think Will Graham's the strongest fucking character ever written. Yeah, he, yeah good. He's okay. not the reason people watch the show. They're watching it for Hannibal. People watch it for Hannibal and they watch it because society has a hard-on for serial killers. And it's like, you know what? Awesome. And for that reason, I think Mads Mikkelsen as Hannibal does a really good job. You just don't see much of Hannibal in the first episode except for when he's sitting across from Will Graham, outsmarting his dumb bullshit. There's a lot of dumb, gruesome fucking murders. It's your typical, oh, there's a serial killer on the loose. Our team of FBI agents gotta go get him. It's, th this whole show is structured the same way that all that Law & Order Criminal Minds stuff is. It, it's gruesome, crazy murder, and we're, we gotta solve it and blah, blah, blah. But God, I don't know. It, it's, I feel like I know a lot of people like it. I'm not trying to shit on the people that do like it, because I'm, I'm sure that there are things in here for other people. As much as I like Silence of the Lambs, I don't like it for the guy going around eating people <laughs> in his seductive, artsy way. I like it because it's a cool, grounded, like, psychological drama about a cop trying to deal with this. Mm -hmm. This feels more like it's trying to glamorize the murders and stuff rather than be disgusted by them. But I guess, it you know, it, it is being told from the perspective of the killer and the person who empathizes with the killer. So I get, they're not going for the same tone. So no. I, I should respect that, but it's not my jam. They they do some, some bullshit and it ends. They do some bullshit. That's just going to be our, our further summaries and, and pilots. At some point, it's like, ah, oh, they just do some bullshit. <laughs> that, that's the thing. It, it, it feels like it goes in circles in the first episode. Like, it doesn't really establish a lot of like it establishes them in that they show up but will graham is well established for what he is for what he's doing there but even hannibal doesn't really get a proper intro he just shows up and it's kind of like you know who he is because you're watching the show mm -hmm. but like lawrence fishburne feels like he just kind of shows up in the background and doesn't really get any setup other than vaguely like he's kind of in charge of Will Graham and he brings him in. And there's a really good scene where he's like hammering Will Graham in the bathroom and Whoa. a dude mm. walks in and he turns around and fucking screams, use the ladies room. And I feel I like you might need a rephrase. I maybe not. I don't know. Phrasing. Hmm? Ha hammering him in the men's room? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, it's it's good. People know what I'm talking about. People are mature. I feel like Hannibal had a whole bunch of, oh, what's the phrase I want to use? Homoeroticism, maybe? There was a whole bunch of shipping of Hannibal and Will on Tumblr back in the day. Was, uh, oh, yeah, it was a neat. whole brand. It was oh, about neat. up there with Sherlock and Watson, honestly. Oh, great. I didn't even, well, I mean, I could have guessed that was a thing. <laughs> Which, uh, again, I bring up not so much a sense of, ew, gay. It's more uh, young teenage girls fetishizing gay men. It's not cool, in my opinion. Well, it's not cool, and I think that is in the same vein as, like, writers putting a cool female character in the story, but just for the point of, like, well, she's Sex. gonna, like, she's gonna bring Will Graham back from the brink, or, or they're gonna bone at some point, and it's like, you still have a character that's, like, in service to this other character, like, just... Just looking at it, I feel like the whole show is going to be revolving around Will Graham, obviously, and I, that doesn't interest me at all. Mm -hmm. I would rather watch Agent Crawford, Lawrence Fishburne's character, or Elena Bloom go around and do their things on their own. And I'm sure that, that happens, but I wish that there was more from that. But at the same time, Hannibal is the meal ticket. Like, that that's what you're here to see. That's what you care about. Maybe. Because people talk about, like, how intricately woven the storylines are. 
So I can't judge the entire storyline based on the hook to it. I know so many people who would have been hooked on this first episode. It's not my brand. I don't think I have anything new or insightful to say about this show that's like four years old now. No, not four years old, but four years in the fucking grave. <laughs> yeah, it feels like there are a lot of tropes, and it feels like they're going to fall into a shit ton of tropes that I don't like. And I'm just not excited for it. So I'm honestly racking my brain and I'm trying not to look at the episode summary. Mm -hmm. I forget how this fucking ended. There's a whole goddamn scene where, where like they run into a separate serial killer and he like slashes his own daughter's throat and like Will Graham like busts in there with a gun. It's like this big moment and I don't even mention it because it just, it, who cares? <laughs> it, it, like in the show it felt like a throwaway moment i don't know there's not much just oh god I'll, it's a true also, crime show or a true it's, crime it's, it's it's a crime drama it is a crime drama trying to hone in on different elements and good for them good for them trying something different it appealed to a lot of people do you want to hear why i liked it i want to hear why you liked it i'm super interested like not judgmentally <laughs> so like i'm actually like I, I think it would be fair to get that other opinion in there so again clearly i'm not so in love with it because i haven't finished it i was watching mm -hmm. this with my friend kayla at the time and she's a really big fan of it and what hooked me were the visuals and i am a slut for good cinematography i think the colors schemes were amazing uh, also mad suits throughout the entire season are fucking great i think she told me he doesn't wear the same suit twice i think he mm. maybe wears the same tie twice and like literally twice but he never wears the same suit twice um there are some scenes later in the season that are very kubrick and like meant to be kubrick i, I when when those are well done i really appreciate them when it's not like oh hey that's obviously kubrick you're like i think i've seen that before oh yeah that's that one scene in the shining like they do a good job visually and like continually and even so there's like this effect that happens when Will's doing his I'm now a serial killer thing that looks like a windshield wiper but it's like a gold glow stick and it's I don't know I just I think all the artsiness of the film or of the of the show really gets to me and okay that will carry so, really far for me I think I have another disclaimer mm -hmm. as to why I think this didn't hook me I just got off of watching all three seasons of Fargo <laughs> Okay. I think Fargo brings all of that to the table and fucking smokes everyone else. You're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. So I think the visuals in this didn't strike me because I've seen them done better within the past month. That's fair. And like, oh, cool serial killers and psychopaths didn't strike me because I've been honing in on Lauren Malvo and all these other characters done in a more, I don't want to say realistic fashion, but something more based in realism than drama, than being this crime thriller. So I, I think having seen something do it in a way that hones in on the stuff that I really like, and then going back to see them doing the stuff that I don't like, but doing it really well for the people who do like it, mm -hmm. I think it, it didn't hook me. Well, I think there's also something to say, too. There's a reason you didn't watch it before. I don't really take mm -hmm. you as someone that's usually a huge crime drama person. Usually what you like in a crime drama is the law drama. And I can yes. it. You, you really like seeing the law side of it. You don't really care about the criminals. Yeah, I. that's the thing. I, I think I don't care about the... Like, my... I don't watch Criminal Minds, but I've watched select episodes of Criminal Minds. Like, like my favorite episodes of that are the ones that focus in on Hotch and things that focus in on, like, definitely the law element. And, like, we were watching... Uh, what was it? Longmire? Not yeah. Longmire. Were we? Was it Longmire? I think it was there's Longmire. Like, there's so many Netflix <laughs> shows about that, like, genre that I just... 
Did you continue yeah, to was... watch it? No. Okay. Uh, so our, our, our side story on that is that we watched the first episode together and then it jumped ahead to like the latest season and we're like, this is weird. It feels like we should know who these characters are. But the like the writing was so bad at some point in that first second episode that when it jumped ahead that we just literally assumed it was the third episode. Like it seamlessly mm-hmm. crossed over and then we realized too late like, oh yeah, no, we're definitely watching something seasons ahead. It was not great. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the thing. It was at its best when it focused on single characters and their drama and the stress of dealing with these situations and taking them seriously. Um, I think I'm just someone who doesn't like the glorification of serial killers and sociopaths and stuff like that. So you like don't like Dexter either? Ooh, ooh, that's another conversation. Okay, okay. I talked about that with our friend Haley. She recommended the books because the books handle Dexter in a much different way than the show does. Mm-hmm. I do not like the show. The books. He is not charming in any sense of the word. He walks into a scene and you get this cold, calculated, mechanical description of what he's seeing. And like the way he analyzes like mutilated corpses, like literally does not give a shit. Like just inspecting them down in gruesome detail to find little hints. And then not caring and shutting his brain off and moving from thing to thing. And like, like he's, he's not like a superhero. He, he's like, he's someone who's deeply troubled, recognizes that, but doesn't feel it trying to do something about it within his own resources. And it, it comes off apparently much differently than it does in the show because the show feels like it's not pandering. It's trying to hook a very specific audience, whereas I don't know that the book would have the same effect on that same audience. There is an audience for people who really like crime dramas. Hey, that's me. (laughs) I definitely don't feel defensive in the matter. I think your points are completely valid. I know I've liked shows that romanticize villains since I was a kid. Oh, yeah. That is just very much for me. And there's a reason why it's kind of the field I'm getting into anyways. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's obviously a reason for me to be studying forensic and legal psychology. Granted, okay, hey, here's a tangent. So like when I first learned about forensic and legal psychology, I was like, I'm going to be an FBI profiler. Fun fact motherfuckers that's not like a real job there's there's no one that's like oh hi i'm special agent so-and-so and i'm a i'm a profiler no there's a behavioral science unit and they do aspects of that but that's not their entire job there's so much more that goes into it and they do a lot more stuff than this which is kind of also a pseudoscience now there's mm-hmm. a lot a lot of things that go into fbi profilers so do your fucking research if that's what interests you if you want to become the next clarice fucking do it. There's no shame in that. No shame whatsoever. I first started getting into it because I wanted to be a counselor in prisons. And then I found out that this graduate school I was going to had a specialization in counterintelligence. So now that's that's what I'm doing. But this program also has a bunch of stuff about criminal behavior and it's still super fascinating. But uh, even like the way that Will Graham and shows that are like that, that are like, oh yeah, we're going to think like the serial killer because we're FBI profilers. That's not really what happens. There's a lot more fucking weirdly like math and charts and it's a whole thing. However, I do really enjoy shows that glorify killers. Not because I think killing's cool. I just, I think it's just a story element that really gets to me. And like earlier you said like, oh yeah, I get the feeling it's just going to be gruesome murder after murder and that doesn't pull me. And meanwhile, for me, again, going back to visuals, there's just some real good murder scenes, which makes me sound fucking insane. But I promise it's just because I'm so entrenched in this field that everything is just a little colored differently for me. 
funny. But there's some scenes that I like saw, my like, God, that looks brutal. But wow, did they do a great job framing it. <laughs> so I can understand 110% why that's not your show. My dad hated me watching Dexter. He hated me watching Breaking Bad. Anything that was super... At seven, he gives me shit a lot because I'll, I'll watch seven on repeat. I think that's a great movie. I like seven. Because it focuses on the law. That's, that's the main focus. Yep. So at least I, I feel like this is something I've known about us, but now we're actually like discussing it. And mm-hmm. uh, like I, I know and I had a feeling you weren't going to fall head over heels for Hannibal. If anything, I thought you would appreciate the prettiness of it, but I, I assumed you wouldn't go on to watch the rest of it. Hmm. And again, because while this technically is focusing on the law, it's not. It really isn't. It's focusing on bad guys. Yeah. And while I think potentially you have a soft spot for some certain bad guys, that's not... You like heroes and you like complex heroes. And I am over here cheering for the bad guys usually as far as media goes i don't know i think i I think it's unfair because a lot of the times villains get a lot more of those complex reasonings and we're starting to see now more complex heroes this this like anti-hero batman kind of style of i'm a hero but i fuck do i hate it and we're seeing a development of the hero we're not getting superman anymore of i'm gonna save the day and get the woman and get everything i've ever wanted because i'm a badass we're getting a lot more flaws and i think that's really cool that that's a, a new area we're exploring particularly as far as it being represented by men men who are being able to be express their emotions now mm-hmm. it's nice seeing that it's not just again I, I say sad dad because it sounds nice but it's great to see guys care about their fucking family and like <laughs> be upset that their daughter's fucking gone or that they fucked up and that their wife's gone like oh it's just it's good it's good complex heroes are good but Absolutely. hannibal has none of that it is all about pretty straightforward villains and not even villains just again hannibal's there but you know he's like oh yeah i'm here do you know do you remember that i'm here it's like he's not even the main character of his own show and while he's a, he's a really strong character in general the main character's will and his interactions with Hannibal. And yeah, so I am not surprised that you do not want to watch the rest of it. But thank you for watching it for this. Oh, yeah. If I could make predictions, I think maybe as early as the next episode, at least within like the first half of season one, Will will probably find out that Hannibal is a serial killer and eats people. And my guess is that there's going to be some verbal jujitsu as to why Will doesn't turn Hannibal in. And they kind of like he uses Hannibal as like a useful tool to hunt down other freaks and I imagine I think that they would maintain that relationship of doctor and patient where he's kind of helping Will deal with his own shit and also helping Will take on other serial killers while Will kind of struggles with this moody drama that's stirring inside of him. Seasons just probably make up more shit. I don't know. So season one, Will is following Hannibal's murders. Mm-hmm. And then there's a copycat murderer. Mm-hmm. And as far as I know, maybe that's how this first season ends. But Will doesn't find out about Hannibal in the first season, I don't think. If he does, it's very late towards the end. Hmm. Will starts seeing Hannibal as his personal therapist. Mm-hmm. And the daughter doesn't die. The one that got her throat slit. I did notice at the end there, and I think I recapped that in a hurry. But yeah, she's like sort of breathing when she gets into the ambulance. And her story is really interesting. Uh, Hannibal kind of becomes a father figure to her in a way. Hmm. And since we're at the spoiler prediction point in general, I hope people know like, oh yeah, hey, if we're talking predictions, I'm going to spoil it for you. She ends up being kind of a part of what her serial killer dad was doing. 
and like was helping out. And she just has her own complex line that's really, really good. If anything, I'd say like if there's any reason for you to watch the show is for her storyline. I would be super interested in that. Again, I would be interested in any storyline that wasn't about the main character. But the downside is you have to deal with like the main character being involved. Yeah. So... Maybe don't watch it, read about it. Go online, read this like season one summary. I think they just handled it really well. I think the actress, I think her name's Abigail. I just, I liked her character a bunch, a bunch. And yeah, so I also think it's interesting that Will's chasing Hannibal and Hannibal outsmarting him like continually, but also like trying to kind of become his friend and his mentor. It just is a really interesting and very Hannibal-esque dynamic. Hmm. Also, I guess I should probably backtrack because Hannibal's gay as hell. And I always forget that. Like he is a queer character in media. And so like homoeroticism, we don't really know where Will stands, but I think that's a lot where the Tumblr thing comes from and why Sherlock Watson's different than Hannibal and Will. Do Will and Elena get together at any point? God, it's been too long. If they do, it's not memorable and not long enough to be a huge story point. Yeah, I just care about her not being there to serve the main character in some way. Again, it's been too long. I liked it, but Kayla and I binged it basically within like two weeks. It's getting late and I'm trailing off and stuff. I'm sorry, buddy. That's okay. We're definitely not recording this. It's almost midnight. It's fine. It's good. (laughs) You had the the fucking... We had a lot of good shit to talk about this episode. We had a lot of good shit. Again, I want to talk about like anything other than Hannibal because it just... Like, it's not just that I didn't like it, it's that I don't feel like I have anything to say about it other than it wasn't for me and I really didn't like it. And that's okay. Yeah, like, it's, again, it has an 8.5 for a reason. Lots of people fucking resonated with this and really liked it, and I'm super happy about that. It's just, I never sought it out for the reasons that I did not enjoy it. But we'll we'll see. Maybe one day I'll get sick and I'll binge the whole thing. It'll turn out. That I really like it when I see it as a finished product. I wouldn't but I was hold my not breath. Booked. <laughs> oh, good. I I would say again, what would behoove you would be to maybe check out the season one summary. And if you like yep. the season one summary, I could see you going through and watching it. But otherwise, don't stress about it. I have a spoiler though. Oh yeah. I think next week we're going to talk about Arrested Development. Does that mean that we have to finish it? <laughs> We might need to. There's only three episodes left, bud. We can, I feel like to talk about as a whole, we might need to. <sighs> we, we do have to. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay, because we'll watch it together and we'll suffer together. And while we talk about how awful it became, I think we'll also talk about some of our favorite episodes and some of our favorite gags and whatnot. Oh, no. I'm just, man. Which our listeners at this those... point are like, you guys haven't seen Arrested Development? No, no. We're like avid, disgusting fans. I, you'll see. You'll see what we have in store, really. Do you want to... Uh, do you... Mm. We're saving it, bud. Save it all. And it's to make up for you not having anything to say about Hannibal. You had a lot to say about Hannibal. But like, no, like, like positive praise. We'll, we'll have fun next week. Do you want to go watch the next episode of Arrested <laughs> Development and just rip that band-aid off? I mean, it's only midnight. I think we got time. I think we got time. Okay. Well, I know that I have a cute send-off. I don't really remember how the first, first format part of it goes. I just know, thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for listening about Manhattan and Hannibal. And if those shows sounded fun, from our weird, vague, poorly described pilot dialogue, go watch it. I know Manhattan's on Hulu. And where did you find Hannibal? I found it on Daily Motion, Which I'm sure is a totally legit site. But hey, if you have seen the shows, or if you want to binge it and let us know your thoughts, feel free. Tell us how wrong we are, even though we know we're right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.